Good evening, everybody. You know, one of the things that's uh, interesting, and I and, and I didn't even tell Marietta that I was going to tell this story, but one of the things that's interesting oh, about no. doing this <laughs> about doing this lesson is that um, while we're doing the lesson, typically what happens is that um, God puts us in situations as we're preparing the lesson, even though we've done this a lot of times before, where we. Um, we get into a situation where not only do we have to use the tools that we're teaching, but then God gives us new revelation. And sometimes that revelation comes as a result of some pretty painful circumstances. And, you know, in this particular this particular week, we, we kind of went through one of those situations where we were using some of the tools that we are teaching you guys. Yes, indeed. And, um, and God gave us some new things. And so that's why you have the green card. And we'll explain about the green card a little bit later. So you ready? Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Ready to dive off in there? Yes. Okay, tonight we're going to talk about one flesh. And this is not just a church term, one flesh. We hear it all the time. We hear it in the, in the church. But it actually truly is a biblical term. Um, and it's about two different people, the two of us, different as we are, Marietta and I, different but drawing together into into uh, a one flesh being, literally, as referred to in the Bible. In Genesis 1.27, get that there. The word says, so God created man in his own image. In, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God created male and female in his image, and a few weeks ago, Marietta covered um, exactly how that that male and female, the female taken out of the male, but part of the male, and so part of a complete picture of what God, of who God is. Go ahead and go to the next one. And we know that after God created man, that He saw, and it was the only part of the creation that He said, "Hey, it's not good. This is not good." that this man be alone. And so God created a helper comparable to him, and that is Eve. But the interesting thing, if you look at that root word helper, it's helpmate in some translations of the Bible. It's Ezer in the Hebrew, but it comes from a root called Azer. And Azer in Hebrew means surrounder or completer or even in some cases, defender, protector, or aid. So it's interesting that God uses that term when he refers to the helper suitable for for Adam. Genesis 2.24 says that a man shall leave his mom and dad and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And <clears throat> the picture that I want you to see is that men and women are to leave their, and I don't think anyone in this room maybe doesn't have this issue, but we could. Um, men and women are to leave who, their parents and cleave to each other. And a lot of times in a marriage relationship, um, we see 
we see one or both parties going back to the parent every time there's a problem. And all that does, if we go back to our forgiveness lesson, all that does is create animosity between that parent and the spouse, the opposite, the other spouse, that can that cannot be resolved because they learn, they grow to not like the other spouse because they're damaging the child, that the person that's coming to them. And so they, we really think that God put this in there because men are to cleave to their wives, wives to their husbands, and not go looking for their parents to fix the problems in their marriage. We have to move forward. We get other people involved in our life, pastors, um, people who are uh, that you can look up to who have good marriages, that sort of thing. Those are the kinds of people that you want to mentor your relationship, not your parents, because you don't want to create ill will between your spouse and your parents. And in... Um, Let me cover it. Yeah, you cover that, and I'll do that. Okay. So what God, what God had appointed for us, ordained for us in, the, in, in, in this one flesh relationship, is a synergistic relationship. And that is, and sometimes that word is overused, but what we're talking about here is that the two of us, Marietta and I, in, in our case, we come together and we're able to do more than we ever could hope to do, even if, if, Mary, if Marietta was operating alone, I was operating alone. The sum of those things would be a certain sum, but together we create and are able to do so much more in this synergistic relationship. And it's like zinc and zinc and copper. They're two metals that by themselves have great uses, but when you combine them together, they produce brass. And brass can be molded into things like faucets, pipe, things that are really strong that copper can't do alone. And zinc can't do alone. And, and fittings that they can't make by themselves because they wouldn't be strong enough. They wouldn't have the strength, the tinsel strength. So that's, a, that's kind of the picture we want to have of each of us. Alone, we have great attributes. There's a lot of things that we can get done. That we have a lot of power in and of ourselves. But together, the unity, there is so much more that we can do besides our individual gifts, our gifts as a couple, our ability to work together as a couple is, can create so much more, can do so much more beyond what we could ever accomplish individually. Exactly. Now, let's talk about this then. So if we're talking about one flesh and we're, we're talking about consolidating uh, with each other, we have to recognize that as individuals, the Bible is very clear about this. Um, as individuals, we are three-part beings. It's what Paul writes in First Thessalonians. He says, your whole spirit, soul, and body. And, and then there's other references in the Bible, and that, sh- that shows on page two of your, of your handout. We refer to what the body is. It's the, obviously the least mysterious of, of, of our three parts, it's the things that when I look at Marietta, I see physically her body, all right? So it's God's provision for our physical existence here on earth. And it's the thing that God actually picked up out of the ground. And then he did something when he picked that up out of the ground, the body, and formed it. And he breathed the breath of life. Some, some translations say spirit. 
And the spirit is the eternal part of us that continues on after this body dies. So, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So, um, the spirit part of us is the, those things that con- comprehend truth, spiritual truth. And it's the spirit part of us that will go and return to God. But then there's another part of us. That's our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. And this is where we get into trouble. This is the part that's the hardest part to get it into, to unite between two people as husband and wife. And that's where we're going to have our emotions get in the way, our own desires get in the way, our, um, our thoughts get in the way sometimes. This is what, this is the area that we can choose to submit or not to submit. This is where we can choose to stay married and love the person we've been given, or we can choose to get a divorce and hate the person that's in our life. That's where this happens, is in your soul. So, let me keep going. Yeah. Okay, so in a marriage... You know, it's pretty obvious. A body, we're, okay, we're going to unite. Our bodies are going to unite for a purpose. And um, we're all married, so don't anybody get upset. <laughs> but that's touching, kissing, sex. That's the physical part of our relationship. Then our spirit unites, and our spirit unites in worship, common worship of God. Okay, I don't believe that when you have two different religions that are diametrically opposed, that you can have a commonality there. Now, I believe that if one is Baptist and one is Presbyterian, can you have a commonality there? Yes, because the basic tenets of faith are the same. But when you get into um, difference between Islam and Christian, Jewish and Christian, we start getting into trouble. Jehovah Witness and Christian. We start getting into trouble because our basic beliefs are different. And so it's real important that there is a unity um, before we can see that that blend, our, our power, our God-given one flesh power in the unity of our, of our spiritual life. And hopefully... Um, you know, if you're both Christian, you attend the same church. And it's real important, regardless of where you go, that you attend together. The, the, okay. Galatians 5.28 said, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, if you believe. Now, in those days, if you remember, the church was started where? In the synagogues, right? Where was Christ preaching? In the Jewish synagogues. What were most of the disciples? Jewish people that became what we call today messianic Jewish believers. They believed that Christ was indeed the Messiah. And so when we, this is talking about Jews, it is talking about messianic Jewish people as we know them today. The Greek would be represent the rest of us who are called Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile or Greek. Um, <clears throat> the soul is the hardest part, like I said earlier, for us to get 
in alignment with each other to bring into a unity. And that is where we're going to get attacked. That's where we leave our door open and things can happen. You know, I don't know if this ever happens to anybody in here, but I'm going to confess it happens to me. Like we're fighting about something, arguing, discussing something, and I realize in the middle of it. Intense fellowship. Oh. We're fighting. (laughs) (laughs) And we're right in the middle of it, and I kind of realize it's because I want my way. Now, how stupid is that? So I have to just lay it down. Okay, whatever, you, you know, okay. You're right. I just want my way. We'll do it that way, your way, because, yeah, I just, doesn't matter, right? So I don't know if anyone else has that problem, but sometimes it's only because I, my own desires want to take precedent over what's, what, over sometimes what Greg wants. So I want my desire my way, right? <clears throat> Not very often. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can go ahead and throw that up there, baby. Oh, we got to talk about this first. Or do you okay. want to read, read that first? Okay. Yeah, you wanna, gonna uh, read, are you going to read it? I, want, I do want to read this. Listen, um, now we're going we're gonna to touch on the husbands now. Because husbands, we have some responsibilities that are very clearly outlined for us in the Scripture. I think we referred to this, I think, about the, the first and second week that we were in this class. We started talking about the fact that we were going to come back to this, this passage. Husbands... Love your wives. All husbands say, love your wives. Love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives. Husbands, love your wives. As their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Husbands, love your wives. Go ahead. Okay. There's another part of that. Oh, you want more? Yeah. Let's go over. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife, love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, we read through this and we're like, man, God? God speaking to Paul in, 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 in a spirit-breathed revelation in this passage. And four times, we're told in this passage, three or four times, depending on how you count it, husbands, love your wives. And I'm sitting there, and I I read this, and I'm like, okay, God, what's up with that? Uh, We got the point. We got the point. We're husbands, right? Love your wives. Not once in this stinking passage do we hear Paul say, hey, wife, love your husband. You know why? Because they don't have to be commanded. We, guys are kind of jacked. Just saying that if we are left to our own devices, given this part of the creation story, we are going to live in caves by ourselves. Come out every once in a while, get some food, you know, see if we can get our physical needs met, go back to the cave. That's the truth. 
Okay? But God is telling us, husbands, love your wives, and he is commanding this. Now, we talked in, in the first week about about what love looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a it's a an agape love. It's a, a love that puts somebody else in front of our own selves. And during this week when we were working on this lesson, we were talking about some things. And I'm gonna I, I just I'm gonna tell you a story. We were talking about I talked about sacrificial love. And Marietta and I are sitting there and we're we're preparing this lesson and I I think to myself, well, I'm pretty good at showing you sacrificial love, huh, honey? I'm doing this. And are you looking for something? Yeah, this is where you're going to cover that. Okay, all right. You jumped ahead. Okay, thank you. Get back back to the husband. Okay, Okay. anyway, I'm going to get back. We'll cover that later. Listen, when we were first earlier married, a number of years ago, about 14 years ago, um, Marietta said, "Hey, honey, I want to. I want to take." Wait, do you know when we got married? Yeah, this is more than fourteen years ago. I know, but no, I'm talking about when we started taking lessons. Oh, but but we weren't early I married. I know well, because yeah. we had been we've been married now for whatever over twenty years. Is this a test? That's right, it is a test. Okay. okay. Anyway, so a long time ago, we were. Uh, Marietta was saying, "Hey, honey, I want to take some. I want to take some ballroom dancing lessons." And I'm like, "Are you kidding me? You, we're going to take ballroom dance lessons?" No, really, honey, I really want to do this. I'm like, "Okay, we'll start going." And guys, I'm telling you, we started going to these ballroom dance lessons, and it was the most painful thing that could have ever happened to me. We're taking these dance lessons from this old guy, and every once in a while, I mean, he's old. When we started taking lessons, he's about. 82, and he comes over, and he's dancing with Marietta, and I'm trying to dance and do all these moves he's showing us. And every once in a while, the 82-year-old guy comes over and hits me in the chest. Just like that. (laughs) Just like that, and I'm like, dude, you know, don't do that anymore. But you never said that. No. You just thought it. (laughs) Anyway, for me, it was a big sacrifice at that time for me to go through this but what I noticed is that as we've kind of evolved through this, what, baby? Well, okay, have you ever seen that card oh in the card God. aisle? And it, and it says, you know, um, something about it's a birthday card, and on the front shows this girl dancing, and she's obviously, like, not a good dancer. And it, and it says something about if you're going to drink wine, you open it up, dance responsibly. Dance responsibly. Greg didn't need any wine. He was that girl. Yeah. He was an awkward dancer. He okay. had, well, well you're we not anymore. I know, amen. Okay. We didn't well, have to even tell that part of the story. Anyway, yes, we did. it was a yes, big. Because every woman in here is going, I want my husband to do that with me. It was and, a. And, and every. Okay. Yeah. And so Guys, and they're all just going, let me just no, tell you, no. It was a huge sacrifice <laughs> for me to do this, you know. But what I noticed is that as we kind of went through it, you know, it, it became less and less of a sacrifice, and pretty soon I began to kind of like it a little bit, and then I got to liking it quite a bit, and now I like to go, you know, and, and spend time with our dance instructor and, and learn new steps and, and, and stuff like that. So the sacrifice in the beginning was great, but it is not a sacrifice now, okay? So I just want to point that out. I mean, we are making 
we are we are walking in these commandments where we are actually doing things to show our wives we we love them. Right, and and that's how it started out. He was doing something that I wanted to do that he didn't necessarily want to do. And if you remember in an earlier lesson, I told you about how I agreed to learn to water ski, even though I didn't really much care for the water and didn't really like you know getting wet. Um, you know, I agreed to do that, not because I wanted to learn how to water ski, but I wanted to hang out with my husband. Yep. And that's what he wanted to do. Yep. So. So, we're, so getting back to the husband, go ahead and throw that, that Matthew um, passage up there. So we're, we're commanded to sacrificially love our wives, husbands, all right? Now, here's another thing. This is a passage from Matthew 20. We're kind of familiar with it, you know, the... The mother of, of the sons of thunder go to go to Jesus and say, "Hey, Jesus, you know, I want my sons to sit at your right hand and your left hand." And and Jesus says, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! You don't know what you're asking. Go ahead." And and so the other disciples are listening to this and going, "Hey, you know, they're getting a little bit upset about it." And Jesus says. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are, in great, are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So what Jesus is doing here in this passage and in other passages in the in, in, the, in the Bible, is he's taking what we consider, and I wish I had my hands free here. Hold my mic. Okay. Organizationally in the U.S., this is what the organization looks like, right? Looks like this. Somebody's at the top. Well, what Jesus did, his organization looks like this, and the leader is literally at the bottom. And so us as leaders, and the Bible tells us, Thank you, honey. That was good. Excuse me, my servant. Um, us as leaders, we are we are going to be leaders. I'll cover this a little bit more later. But we're leaders in our families. But we're also that means that we are servants to our wives. Okay. So, do you want to tell the story about Hebrews? Uh, we saw this uh, play one time, and in the play, the there was this scene where the guy was making coffee and serving it to the wife, and she was going on and on about him making the coffee, and she goes, you know, it's biblical. And, and uh, the, her friend said, what? What do you mean it's biblical? There, I, I've not read anything in the Bible that said anything about husband has to make his wife coffee. There's not, I don't think there's even coffee in the Bible. And she said, yeah, it says Hebrews. And anyway, I thought that was so funny. I laughed so hard. <laughs> it doesn't take much to get Marietta laughing. I laughed so hard. <laughs> and so the so the next so the next morning, I looked over at Greg and I said, "Hebrews." Yep. Licked my eyes at him a little bit, and next thing I know, I had coffee in bed. And so that's been a tradition for us since then. Every morning, Greg will get me a cup of coffee, and we'll sit up in bed, and we sit and visit in the morning having coffee together, talking and about all kinds of different things. Um, 
Sometimes it's about um, what are what we're facing that day. Sometimes it's things of the Lord, and sometimes it's just our our own just our own thoughts. Um, so it's become a real precious time for me, and and I think you, yes, yeah, in the, that we share in the morning. It's a good illustration of this next point that we're going to make. Go ahead and throw that up there. First Peter three seven says, "Husbands likewise dwell with them that is your wife." With understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs of together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, what what we're being told here is that we are dwelling with our wife in understanding, and being commanded to do exactly that. We're spending time with our wives, and sometimes that that even in the, itself is a little bit. Um, I don't want to say sacrificial because I don't want it to sound bad. But, I mean, what we're doing is we may be thinking about all the other things that we could be doing, but we recognize that we're spending time because that is the thing that is valuable and that we're commanded to do. The other thing that – go ahead and you can throw your cool slide up. Okay. A few weeks ago we talked about how a guy moves from chair to chair to chair, from space to space to space. And so one of the things that we want to do is we, during this time that we're spending time with our wives, we want to invite her to, to sit in our chairs with us to kind of spend some time looking at the things that we're, we're, we're considering. So we've got a lot of different chairs. This is, this is one that I particularly like right here, you know. It's a, it's a good family chair, you know. It's also a good time for me chair. But, and I really don't know what, you know. Some other chairs that Marietta would spend time with me in. You know. Wow. Now that that chair there in the in the lower right hand corner, that yeah, that chair right there. That is the stinking foofy chair. And even I have to spend some time in that chair too, because Marietta likes to go to the foofy chair. And so I'll spend some time in that chair as well. And remember when I told you that it, that sometimes when I want to tell Greg certain things, I tell him to put on the girlfriend hat. And so that's the spot. And he doesn't like to go there, but he does. He does it for me, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm dwelling. When I'm in that chair, I am listening to the commandment that I am dwelling with my wife in understanding, no doubt about it. And then and then there's the work chair, the office chair or or. or and, and we want to make sure that we're including our wives in that chair as well. And so we're sharing some of the things that are going on at work. Obviously, it's pretty easy for Marietta and I to do that because we work together. But, but one thing that I would caution you about, it, guys, is that if you invite your wife into that role, into that chair, and, and visit with her in, in that regard, make sure you don't get too stinking detailed about it, you know. Just, you know. I mean, give her the overview, but don't. If you're getting a lot of strokes at work, don't don't expect that she's going to give you the same amount of strokes. She's got other things to give you, but so you can share with what's going on with work, but don't get it don't get overboard. Right, and you know what? I've seen that. I've seen chairs like that other places besides work. Yeah. I'm just gonna. I'm just saying. Oh yeah, in a in a. Uh, I've seen them in deer blinds. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Oh yeah. Old old oh, ones yeah. in deer blinds. Yep. Yep. Sure have. That's awesome. Is there another chair? Oh, 
Oh, this is my favorite chair. Anyway, so this chair is awesomeness. This is the nothing chair. and um, It's where men think about nothing. Yeah. That's what the chair looks like when they're sitting you, in it. That's it exactly right. That is the chair, oh, nothing. <laughs> and so that is a good chair. Um, I'm, I'm actually coveting it as I look at it right now. Here, you're out of there. Okay. <laughs> it's not right. Anyway, okay, let's move on. First Peter 2.21 says, For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. In other words, here's another husband responsibility as modeled for us by Jesus. What we're doing is we're modeling Jesus even to our wives. Okay? And by modeling Jesus to our wives, this is the way that we're earning respect. The respect that that they are commanded to give us, and Marietta will cover more of this a little bit later, but if you model Jesus to your wife, the respect comes. There's no doubt about it. It just comes along with it. And sometimes sometimes guys want to command their wife to respect or command their wife to submit. It's not about it. We talked about how Jesus is the servant leader. And if you walk the way that Jesus wants you to walk, that comes naturally, follows naturally. One other thing that I want to talk about, and we just have to touch on this. Um, the Bible is clear about husbands. You've got to provide for your household. And he, who, if you don't, First Timothy says that you're worse than an unbeliever. Some, uh, some translations say that you're worse than an infidel. But I just want to touch on that and just point out that, that, that God expects us as husbands to be the provider. Now, um, at the bottom of this page, and you can look at page three in, in, in your work that you, you brought in this evening, there's character traits of Jesus that are listed to the left-hand side of that column. And then sometimes... If you look at that at that list, sometimes it's better to, when we're trying to describe a particular word, it's good to have the opposite also described. So I'm not speaking a opposite word over anybody in this room, but what we're trying to do with the opposite is we're trying to get you to think about what the character trait looks like in its fullness as it's be, being reflected in a, as a husband and as we're reflecting Jesus to our wives, what that needs to look, look like. So if you're operating on this right-hand side in any areas, you know, we need to be moving over to the Jesus side of that column um, and do those things that, that, that Jesus modeled for us, for our wives. Uh-huh. Right. We're going to, whoops, we're going to move over to um, the wife, some of the things about a wife. And, um, but the story is a war story. We have, we're going to listen to, we're going to listen to it with a good attitude. And Greg's going to tell it because he's good at telling war stories. Okay. Well, the reason that we're telling this story is because what we're, what we're trying to demonstrate here is that um, in this one flesh relationship, Ultimately, 
there has to be one leader, one head. Um, in World War II, uh, as the Allies were preparing to, to, they were making a comeback and they were preparing to invade Europe, Churchill, the leader of Great Britain, and Roosevelt, obviously our president, decided that the Allied armies needed a single leader. They needed a single leader. And so because Churchill was politically savvy, he nominated Dwight D. Eisenhower to be that single leader, the Supreme Commander, Allied Forces Europe. That was his title. And he was the man. Now, he commanded the French, the Free French Army, he commanded the British Army. He commanded the U.S. Army Europe. He commanded uh, the the freedom fighters from other occupied countries. They were all commanded commanded by Dwight D. Eisenhower. So there, there was a recognition that there had to be one person that was responsible. Otherwise, all of these armies, all of these forces couldn't operate effectively together to get the job done. And so it it is in our in our in our one flesh relationship ultimately there is really one head that head by the way is jesus and then it's ultimately the husband but what we're talking about and 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 then we also have another story there that kind of shows you how the opposite can be true if we look at the Dallas Cowboys right now you know Jerry Jones he he wants to be the coach but he has a coach and we are jacked up. You know, if you're a Cowboys fan, we're jacked right now because nobody knows who's in charge, ultimately. So oh, and I'm going to talk to the women today about that, that scripture that talks about that nobody wants to talk about, which is, so let the wives be, um, well, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And that word, submit, we can take it, we can circle it, we can underline it in red, and you're going to hear. Um, I, and I really think that the women's movement had its roots in not wanting to be part of that scripture. It says submit. And the world has tainted that, that word for us. And I, I actually took the meaning of submit and I put I gave it two views, a world, a current, a correct view and a world view. And the correct view, the word means accommodating, agree, amiable, complying, patient, pliable, yielding, ingratiating, charming or disarming, malleable, adaptable, flexible, supple, supple workable, Obiescent, dutiful, regarding, respectful, reverent, standing, tractable, persuadable, willing, uncomplaining. That doesn't sound so bad. The worldview is abject, meek, passive, bowing down, giving in, lowly, menial, resigned, slavish, subdued, servile. Now, if we were both created in God's image... Why do we have to submit? Well, 
Because the story Greg just told, somebody has to be ultimately responsible to God. You submit easily, women submit easily to a man who is following the Lord. But the man who is not walking with Jesus, growing and changing his life, becomes a little bit harder. And women start looking at the worldview of that word rather than the correct view, the way that God wanted us to see that word. Um, Submission isn't about taking your husband and putting him in the place of Jesus in your life. It isn't about giving up, communicating your input into vital decisions. We've talked about that through this course. What, and it's not giving up trying to influence or guide your husband. What it has, it's not inferiority. It's not being, saying you're incapable or you have a lesser intelligence. It's a hard attitude. That's what it's about for women. It, submission is a hard attitude. It desires to cooperate out of a love and respect for your husband. Two things that, well, love is easy, but respect is a little harder sometimes for women to get to. But I find it comforting to know that when Greg and I are faced with a really, really difficult decision, and I want, you know, and I want us to make the right decision, and we, we don't agree, I find, I take great comfort in, it's on his head if it's wrong. Do you get that? Just like Eisenhower would have had to take, it's on his head, if the different battles he was orchestrating across Europe went wrong. Across the Pacific, right? Well, well he was he, Europe. He was Europe, that's yeah. right. So the, um, if they were wrong, he was the one ultimately responsible. Yeah, other people were going to get hurt. Other people were going to get killed. But Eisenhower would take the heat for anything that didn't go according to plan. So in our marriage, anything that doesn't go according to plan is his fault. (laughs) If I submit. There's great comfort in that. Okay. In in Greek, the word submit is uh, hupatasso. Hupatasso. And hupo means um, under, and tasso means to put in order or to arrange. And so we can take and say that it means to a, vertically, a vertical order, orderly alignment. So God said in James 4, therefore submit to God. Okay? Submit to God. There's our first order of the alignment. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. There's a, we have to submit to each other. All Christians, everybody who's a believer. Okay, so there's our second orderly alignment. Wives are to submit to our own husbands as to the Lord. There's another orderly alignment. And children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So now we've got, we've got wives submitting to husbands, Christians submitting to Jesus and each other, and we've got children submitting to their parents. So in a marriage relationship, we have God, Christ, we have the husband, we have the wife, and then the children. Children are subject to both the, the mother and the father. I like that picture. I really mm-hmm. do. And I just want to emphasize that the role of a woman in a marriage 
you know, some people advocate their role as a wife. And what I mean by that is that we just let him do everything. We just let the husband take over and run everything. And if something happens, we don't even know how to get money out of the checking account. How do we get money into the checking account? Some are, you know, within this day of automatic deposits and automatic transfers. And these are things that we need to learn from each other, or at least know where to go when we need get when we if something should happen, our husband can't do that. And I'm, I use the Proverbs 31 woman um, as an example, and I know a lot of a lot of people hate her, but she's really she's really really smart. <laughs> she's she's valuable. Her husband trusts her. Um, she does him good. She's she goes out and she works with her hands, and then she goes and gets food from far away and brings it to her family. Um, she gets up early in the morning. It's still dark out to, to make sure there's food for her household, and she even provides some for her maidservants. And, you know, she did not. She's not cooking this herself. She's overseeing it because she has maidservants. So she has people who can do this for her, right? She's overseeing it. Um, she considers a field and buys it. She's buying and selling real estate. And then she's planting a vineyard from the profits that she's get. She's reinvesting it, and she's making that money go further and further. She's conducting business. She's not stuck at home with her apron tied to the stove. She's actually involved in the business world. She, um, she looks at the stuff she's making, her merchandise, and she sees that it's good. In other words, she knows that she's producing a valuable product, a product that is what she says. So she's honest about her, her business. Her lamp doesn't go out by night, so it doesn't become dark, and she just goes to bed. She's actually working late. Uh, she extends her hand to the poor, so she helps those that are needy. She's clothed her, her family. She makes things. Uh, her husband, he sits with the elders at the gate, and he's known there. He's, they know who he is. She's, it says that she opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. And some of us want all the other things, and we haven't got to this part right here, that out of our mouth comes wisdom in, our, in this relationship, and that our tongue does not practice the law of kindness in this relationship. She doesn't, uh, she's not idle. She, her children call her blessed, and her husband says, many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Many women are great, but you excel them all. How many women wish they could hear that from their husbands? <laughs> oh, Sorry. And but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. We don't have to do anything, but do what God has called us to do. Now, is He going to call all of us to do all of those things? Probably not. But what I'm trying to get you to see is, if she can do all those things then certainly in a relationship where we're submitting only to our husbands and to Jesus, we still carry a lot of responsibility. In, in the 
on your handout, we've, we've also listed some character traits or, or, and the opposite because I think it's important that we look at the two of those and realize that there's a scale between love and apathy. There's a scale between respect and disregard, encourage and discourage, help and oppose, faithful and disloyal, attention and neglect, paying attention to our husbands and neglect, industrious and being lazy, honest and being deceptive, diligent and being careless, listening and ignoring, empathy and indifference, considerate and thoughtlessness, connected, and what we mean by that is connected, like, you know, go into the chair that's at his office and, you know, into his space and letting him tell us about his day and, you know, listening well and putting your arm around him and tell him, I'm sorry you had such a bad day. Can I get you something to make you feel better? Do you want some ice cream? (laughs) (laughs) Friend and detractor. And a detractor is designated as a critic, a censor, a defamer, and a depreciator, someone who doesn't appreciate. So before Adam and Eve, before the fall, Adam and Eve are, they have a relationship that's just awesome. Everything is really good. They had total unity, body, soul, and spirit. Everything was wonderful because there was no sin yet in the world. And Satan decided he needed to destroy that. He didn't like it, so he introduced strife between Adam and Eve and between them and God. And in Genesis 3.12, Adam blames Eve and God for what happened. Genesis 3.13, Eve blames Satan. And then in Genesis 16-19, through 19, God meets out their punishment. And then in Genesis 23-24, to 24, there's physical separation from God. And yet thousands of years later, even after this disaster of the first marriage... God still is using marriage as a metaphor for Christ in the church. There is power in the unity of a marriage. There is power in our marriages. You want me to do this part? Okay. Okay. You know, we we talked about the, the soul being the hardest part to bring around, and this is where we all struggle. And I love this passage from Romans. It says, um, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. So 
what Paul is obviously talking about there is 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 the battle that's going on between him and his flesh or his soul, understanding between his spirit, his spirit understanding of what is right and what is wrong, and his soul or his flesh, which is which is really warring. And so, if Paul walking as a celibate man is is dealing with that, how much tougher is it? it for us as a couple, when we're both struggling with those same issues, we're struggling, 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 and then to lay those things down and do the thing that's right for our spouse. So one of the things that we want to make sure that you don't ever do is just say, you know what, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is the way it is. And sometimes we hear that in a, in a, in a relationship. We grew up believing that's what you're supposed to say. Right. This is who I am. I can't change who I am. This is this is what I'm about. And the truth of the matter is we were told a lie and bought into it. That's right. That's right. I bought into it for a long time. You see, change is something that, that automatically comes out of our Christian walk. There's no doubt about it. And change comes even in this in this relationship, this one flesh relationship that we're walking in, change is a good thing. We are we are walking to change. We're being conformed to Christ, even through this walk. And one of the things that I've told husbands in the past is the way one of the ways that God deals with a man's heart, which can be so messed up. Well, actually, there's two ways that a, that God deals with a man's heart. First way. He makes us husbands, and he makes us fathers. And through that, he really can get in there and do some awesome work where if left alone, we could, you know, typically we couldn't even understand what his heart looks like. But in this relationship, I can begin to understand God's heart because I'm looking at Marietta in that same light. And when I have kids, same thing. It happens the same way. So we are talking about a walk of change here. And and the way that change begins is that we embrace the Word. We submit to the Word. We begin to understand what the Word is talking about. And we desire that that, you know, God is speaking that Word because he wants to bring good change for me. And because I embrace that, it's good for Marietta. You know, we, I just want to go back yeah. to the whole change part for a second. You know, we think about, you know, we didn't stay a baby. Here we have a little baby. We didn't stay a little baby. We were all like that one time, like this little baby. You can't see because she's really little right there. This little baby, we were all like that, depending on someone else for everything. And we grew, we changed. And sometimes we think because we've become an adult, that we don't have any more growing to do or changing to do. But really, our whole life should be about change. Our whole life should be moving forward. And if we're stagnating exactly where we are, if we're not moving forward, we really don't, you know, we really don't believe that we have a hope in Jesus. So the... Really, I believe that in a Christian relationship, 
We need Jesus to push us along. We need fellow Christians to push us along, to change, to be better, to do better towards each other, to have a better relationship with the Lord himself, and, and definitely in our marriages. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, as we draw near to God as a husband and wife, we move closer to each other as we get closer to God. It's this triangle picture that we've drawn um, on page seven. And beginning with the day that we got married, every one of you started laying things down, sacrificing for the good of your relationship. And it was different things. Um, you quit dating other people, right? Well, you I may have started you, that. That's I when hope you got uh, engaged. Well, I, I hope you did. You, know, you stopped dating you other people. You yes, started you lo- stopped looking around going, oh, I like that guy or I like that girl, right? You stop dating other people. And early on, that was a pretty easy thing to do because you were experiencing deep emotion of love. Okay? And then, um, you know, a man may have have left the job he was working to take on a job he really didn't like as well, but it made better money. And and that's what was going to provide for his family. So... And a woman, she leaves her, her family to, to, get in, to go into this new relationship with this guy and make babies and have her own family. And as in the beginning, in the very beginning of your marriage is when all of your sacrifices are happening or the majority of your sacrifices. The, yeah, the big, and, the big sacrifices. And this That's is right. where we were talking about last night yeah. when, or that – Part of our, part of our, what I said, he said something about asking me this question, and I asked him, so how do you think you show me sacrificial love? Yeah, listen, this was a tough one, okay? This is something that God showed us during the course of this week as we were, I mean, these lessons have been developed for years and years and years, but we're going through the lesson, and, and I'm talking about sacrificial love, and Marietta says, well, what does that mean? And we stopped. We actually had a timeout. And, I mean, it was a tough one. It was like timeout. And I'm like, yeah, what does that mean? And I'm thinking, okay, what kind of sacrifice am I making for Marietta right now to show her that I love her? And I literally went out in our backyard, and I sat down on the step for a while, and I'm thinking, thinking, thinking. And I'm like, man, I can't come up with anything. It's pretty – here I am – we're going to teach this course. I'm going to talk about sacrificial love, and I can't come up with an answer. Now, this is a tough one for me. So I come back in, and I said, honey, I can't, I can't come up with something. So we got to talking about this, and here's what we came up with. As Marietta said earlier, during the early part of your relationship, you are making definitive sacrifices, big sacrifices, But the cool thing about it is just like our walk with Christ, that as we walk and we draw nearer to him, we're being sanctified. 
the sacrifices that we are making are littler and littler and littler. Let's say that, let's say that Marietta and I were going to come together, and um, and and this is not true, but I'm going to give you an example. Um, let's say that I smoked when we started to 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 date, and she didn't want me to smoke anymore. I think that that would probably be a, be- a pretty big sacrifice for me to lay that down. But if she asked me to do that, I would do it because. That's for the good of our relationship. Um, so we, we begin to make sacrifices, we, um, and they are big ones early on. But as we walk in the way that God has called us to walk, particularly given the, the scriptures that we've already covered in this lesson, those things become less and less and less so that, you know, when I think about sacrifices now, it's not something that I can necessarily put my finger on but we're walking it out constantly. Do you see that? I hope this is making some sense here because it's really important. You know, it's, it becomes a, your, 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 I don't want to say sacrificial living as much as it just becomes a way of life. You're showing each other love and you're considering each other first. Right. And, and that's, that wasn't true in the beginning no. of our marriage at all. The, when we were first married, the first few years we were married, it was a very, um, it was like two rivers converging. You ever been at two rivers that converge? There's a whole lot of rapids. <laughs> There's yeah. a whole lot of turmoil. Yeah, a lot of turmoil. There's That's a right. whole lot of yeah, rushing good. water, and it's going in the air, and it's flying everywhere, you know. And it takes a while for those waters to smooth out. And once they start smoothing out, then occasionally we run into some, you know, we run into a rock or we've got to, you know, we've got to deal with something one of us has to lay down for the good of the whole. But as we've gone, just like in our walk with Christ, you know, as I've, God has called me to lay down things that I don't need to be doing, you know, and I've let them go, I don't miss them anymore. They're no longer a sacrifice. They're out of my life. I've already dealt with it being a sacrifice in the beginning. And it, and there's no going, you know, for me, it's like, yeah, that's no big deal now. It was a big deal back then. I had to lay that down. God called me to lay it down. Um, but, you know, and one of the things, and I'm just going to tell you one because it's, like, innocuous and it won't hurt anybody's feelings. But I used to read a lot of novels. And I read not not porn novels, not women's porn. I, that's what I call the romance novels. I didn't read those. But I did read a lot of nonfiction novels that had to do with uh, mysteries and whodunits and those sort of things. And one day God told me to quit. I read two or three a week because I could. I read real fast and I could get through a book. And I thought, well, God, what am I going to do with all this time? You know, because that's how I wound down at night when I get into bed. And. I couldn't believe he wanted me to do it. And I dug my heels in for a while, and he kept bringing it up. And people who didn't know me would say things to me about reading. And I just knew I suppose finally it was easier just to let it go. And I did. And at first it was really hard. And then I found other, something else to fill my time with. And within a short amount of time, it was no longer a sacrifice. It was just how I lived. And it didn't bother me. But in the beginning, it was huge. 
And so some, sometimes when you run into those little bumps, you may be in the beginning. I know there's some newly married people in here, and you may be in the beginning of, of dealing with some of that. And you will get through that as long as you stick together. And if, if you're hitting some bumps later on after you've been flowing a while, it's going to happen. And you will get over that one, too. And we've given you some tools to help you do that in some of the early lessons. So let's talk about, honey, let's talk about um, intimacy a little bit. Um, Because what we want to have is we want to have not only an intimate relationship with Jesus. In 1 John 5.20, go ahead and throw that one up there, baby. 1 John 5.20 says, that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. We want to be intimately involved with Jesus, and in a similar fashion, we want to be in, intimately involved, in, intimately related to each other. And part of the things, the exercises that we've given you through the private sessions, the homework part of it, are things that are designed for you to connect with your spouse. Um, in our in this lesson, I, I said we said that connect the opposite of it, connected is abandonment, physical or emotional, not connecting. And it is real important that you find things to do on a very regular basis to connect each other. We've given you some examples, and don't just let it. Don't just hear it and not do it. What does James say? Be a hearer of the word and do it. Not just, not just a hearer, but a doer. In, in, this, in our relationship, we have to be a doer. We have to do things that connect us with each other. If, we're gonna, if our marriage is going to survive some of the stuff that life is going to throw at us. And um, you want me to go for it? This? Yeah. The... Um, I love this parable about the sower. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears, ears to hear, let him hear. This is Jesus that's telling this parable. And I want you to get a picture of this. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And from one seed, when a, plant, when a farmer makes a decision to plant a seed, it's purposeful. And that seed yields up after its own kind and way more than the little one that was put in the ground. In our marriage, this is how this parable relates to our marriages. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. This is Je- Actually, this is what Jesus said about the parable. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a little while 
and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And the application is that some people enter into marriage with the idea that if it doesn't work, they can get a divorce. And we have, we've talked about that in the, in the very first lesson, that it was a cho- it's a choice to stay married. The seed is scattered along the path, and they never tried to know their spouse. Let's go back to that. Okay. Those on the rock are the ones who are excited to get married, um, but they ne- never get a deep relationship developed with their spouse. And when trials come, they leave. So when you find that rock, when you're in the middle of the early beginning stages of your marriage and there's all that turmoil, that's when people bail. The seed among the thorns stands for those who allow distractions in life like work, other people, um, worldly influences to enter into their marriage and the marriage withers and dies. Sometimes this can be, you know, I we have seen People so obsessed with a particular sport um, that it becomes all they do and they leave their family behind. We saw a newspaper article with a guy in the front. This is a terrible article. A guy who's sitting playing video games and his little boy, little tiny boy, toddler, sitting on the couch watching him. That was the picture. And this guy was spending, and the news article about him was he's spending 8 to 12 hours a day playing video games. Now, I don't know if he had a job, but I hope he did. But if he didn't, think about how much time that left for sleep and interacting with his child. Your child, A child watching him play video games was not the same as him playing with the child. And that guy didn't get it. He's losing an amazing opportunity to impact this child his child's life and he's letting it flow by and the seed on the good ground are those who have a humble and loving heart who want to know their spouse who serve their spouse and love their spouse and by persevering through all of this turmoil through all of the rocks that life's going to throw in our way they pursue and maintain their one flesh relationship and, and it produces a, a good crop right. as because a result. People look up to people who are married who have good marriages. And as, you know, it used to be that all of my, my parents, had, you know, everybody I knew when I was small had good marriages. Well, you look around today, and I, I don't know if, I, I know a number you know, uh, Miss Lou and Perry Dempsey. Mm-hmm. Miss, Miss, Miss Lou died last year. But. You know, they were married 65 years. I love to listen to how they stay married 65 years. And they loved each other. They weren't just there. They loved each other. They really connected. And there's a number of marriages in our church that are way up there, and we can learn a lot from, them, from those people who love each other for long periods of time. 
and one of the one of the salient points of that is that you you see those marriages that are like that, and they're always a a marriage where there is a intimate friendship, an intimate relationship between the husband and the wife, and that's what we're talking about here tonight is is developing, being purposeful to develop an intimate relationship with each other. The the I can't remember his name, the guy from Marriage Builders. Um, he said that he recommends that married that married couples spend 15 hours a t- week with each other. 15 hours. Now, if you have kids and you work and you know you're you volunteer and you have some side interests, 15 hours can be seem like a really a lot of time. I challenge everybody in this room, every couple that's hearing my voice, <laughs> whether their other half is here or not tonight, and anyone on the tape, try to spend 15 hours of undivided time with your spouse. That means taking your cell phones and any outside stimuli and sticking it away to where you can't hear it or see it and see if you can get through 15 hours in a week. 15 hours in one week. How many hours are in a week altogether? 168. So this is less than 10% of the time available in one week. I'd be interested if anyone tries it, how you did. Why do I think no one's going to take me on that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway. So on the the last page of our handout, we we put in there some... Wait, wait. Did I mention that this can include sex with each other? Okay. Well, never mind. Well... It's it's even it's even oh, the guys are going, actually okay. yeah the guys we are going yeah yeah there are times when we teach this class we actually teach a a, a separate lesson on intimacy which right. and what we do is we take the men and the women apart okay for that one well okay but anyway. we're not going to teach that today no, but not. I do want to cover a little bit about porn okay because we need to because okay. we're talking about intimacy okay there are two kinds of porn out there. And we have porn that's designed for men, and most of it comes in the form of pictures on the Internet or books and some video, right? But if you look around, and this is becoming less true the, the younger, the younger, for the younger people, but when you look around at what's available, most of the porn is directed at men, visual porn. The porn that women have, and that's because God created, well, let me back up. God created men. To be visual. Visual. He makes Eve. Adam breaks into song. Oh, yes, I got a woman. No, he's all excited. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Yes, uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's right. That's right. He didn't know her. Can you imagine? Wait a minute. I don't even know you, guy. But, no, women, you know, and and women, you know, well. Well, women were created well, in, to be in relationship. That's right. So we're already there. You know, here we are. Here's the guy. You know, we don't even know him. And, right? But you're created for relationships. That's right. And so, and, and, and so men have visual need. Okay, this is where I start. Men need to learn to avert their eyes. Right? And women need, and I don't know if anyone in here has this problem, but women need to watch how they dress. Because sometimes it's just hard for men to line up. It's like, you know, if you were a smoker, a drinker, or a drug user. Can we use those? Because those are the most common addictions that people deal with. And if you were any of those things and tried to give it up, 
You hated it when it was put right in front of you. When your friends lit something to smoke. When you walked into the bar to get a Coke. Right? Okay. So you get temptation is big. So when men, all men are in different stages learning how to avert their eyes, women dress accordingly. Help them avert their eyes. The, um, okay, that is, can, okay. Can you, you, you can cover Wait. the women now. Okay, I am. Okay. okay, for women, okay, yeah, there's pictures, and some women like pictures, but you know what most women like? Romance novels. Any men in here ever looked at a romance novel? You don't want to look at them because they are women's porn. It's the guy who says all the right things and does all the right, th- all the, all the right stuff. It's the guy in the office who says all the right stuff. If I was your, wife, your husband, I'd treat you like this. If you were my wife, I would do this for you. Words are women's porn. That's where it gets us emotionally. We're not, although we're visual, we're not as visual as men. But we need to hear those words that make us feel good about ourselves. And when we hear them and they're coming from someone other than our husband, we need to run. We need to deal with it. We need to run. And if the person that you're watching having sex through a book in a in terms of a romance novel, is more exciting than the guy laying in bed with you, you need to get rid of the books. Just saying. That was good. Okay. That's my, that's my short take on pornography. There is a longer version, but that, you got the short one. Okay. So on the last page, we have some tips there on improving your one flesh relationship. Some of the things that uh, we've talked about during this lesson that we want you to try to incorporate into your lives. Not all of these things are you going to do right out of the chute, but these are things that you can, that you can use to improve this, this relationship that you have with your husband or, or your wife. Find and pursue common interest. One of the things that we say is date each other and You'll notice on that one, include scheduling dates in bed if that's something that's relegated to the bottom of the priority list. You get kids. You get work going on. Life. Life starts to get in the way. You need to make sure that you're scheduling some time to make sure that you're intimate with each other because that's something that God gave us. And it, it, it is a, a, an important part of our one flesh relationship. Um. Take vacations, not all of them without children, but you can get away from the kids every once in a while. Even if it's just overnight. Um, Read the word to each other and and study the word together. Um, One of the things that Marietta, she doesn't do it right now, but for a long time when I was in a difficult situation work-wise, I would fall asleep every night by having Marietta read the Psalms over me. And she would read the Psalms, and that would wipe me out. Praise God, I was a blessed man. I went to sleep under my wife reading the word. Awesomeness. Good. Get involved in ministry together. Encourage each other. Share your victories. Um, every victory. Something little that is good that happened. You want to, you wanna, hey, guess what happened? This is, this is awesome. Or you see a miracle take place. The first thing that I'm doing is I'm telling Marietta, hey, this is a miracle that happened, you know. And, and we're celebrating together, and we're praying for each other, and 
and we're complementing each other. And this is the cool thing about why a one flesh relationship is awesome. If it's operating properly, I mean, we have a built-in cheerleader for each other. We're lifting each other up. We're going, yes. And that's a good thing because the world will try to tear you down. Um, you want to be grateful for everything that your spouse is, and you tell them all the time about that. Sometimes you have to exhort your partner. You might remind them of an area that, that God is calling them to a higher place in. And sometimes that's tough, but that's part of your role. As, as a one-flesh couple, you're operating as each other's exhorters. Um, Allow your allow your spouse, and I do this a lot. Uh, I allow Marietta to to serve in her role as my aide and surrounder. Um, we want to let each other express our feelings, even if it means that you're not going to act on them. This gets back to some of our communications teaching, but but listen for their feelings. Don't act on those feelings. Just acknowledge that those feelings are are what they're feeling. I used to have to. Marietta would tell me, or I would tell Marietta, well, you don't really feel like that because it was foreign to me. I don't say that to her anymore because that would really bug her. (laughs) Well, that brings out the Sicilian crazy woman. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, You want to make your spouse feel secure and safe the way that God makes you feel secure and and safe. And because we know that God will never leave us or forsake us, we want to make our spouse feel that same way. Make sure that you're creating a safe situation, and by creating that safe environment, you're going to notice that your marriage is is vastly improved. Um, and make sure that you're spending time with your with your spouse. Time is the price that you're going to you're going to pay for a better relationship. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we're talking in terms of everybody's in a different place in their marriage. Some people are newly married. Some people have been married for a while. Um, this, All of this stuff helps Greg and I, who've been married over 20 years. It helps us. Every time we teach it, we get refreshed. We get renewed. And it is really important that you see this not as a Band-Aid or something to help you right this second, that it becomes a lifelong way of living your life. And so often in marriages, people have been married, as long as we have, start drifting apart because they don't spend time together. And then you hear about somebody who was married for 20 or 30 years getting a divorce. And you're thinking, how could that happen? I mean, if they made it that far, how could they, how could they end it now? Because yeah. they drifted so far apart, they didn't think there was any way they could get back yeah, as together. You were, as you and they were... found other things or people that were more interesting. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage you, this is like, this is to keep your marriage strong. If you have a strong marriage right now, this will keep you going, keep you strong, the time that you can invest. Yeah. As you were relating that story about the, uh, or the parable of the four soils, and, and you use that word wither, uh, that's what I was thinking about. That's, that's the marriage that's been going for, you know, great guns for a couple of decades. And then all of a sudden you hear, you know, they kind of, Something happened. And, you know, so we don't want your marriage to wither. It needs to be consistently growing. And um, so what we're talking about, Marietta used a a, a good phrase. This is not a Band-Aid. This is a lifestyle. This is something that you're walking out every day. Whether whether you have, whether you're a new marriage, 
you have a good marriage, a fantastic marriage, or an incredibly fantastic marriage, it will help you. Amen. Amen. If you, if you purpose to live this out this way.